All right, welcome, welcome again. Um, you know, as I'm coming back from sabbatical, we're uh, talking about the sermon series and kind of working through. I'm really grateful for this particular topic um, in our sermon series is putting your life in order, putting your life in order. And today, specifically, we're going to talk about ordering your time. And it's something that, uh, that it's, you know, I'm st- like what <clears throat> Pastor Larry said, um, what I'm thinking is it's a continuation of what we're really growing learning that we don't have everything in place in our lives, but part of it is we even preach to ourselves as we think about things and challenge not just you, but ourselves in it, that this is something that we believe is, you know, God's desire in each one of us, right? And so today in ordering your time, you know, I want to just highlight some two things that Pastor Larry spoke about that kind of is foundational to even to this particular topic. And the first is, you know, he mentioned surrender, you know, as he mentioned that of just being, seeing the Lord as being the Lord in your life, right? Not just a savior, but actually the Lord of your life. Someone that you put first, someone that you are really, <clears throat> you know, surrendering to, right? That it's not just doing your will, but doing the, the will of the Father, right? And, and I think most of the time it's someone's on that throne, either ourselves, our parents, the public, the people's people's opinion, whatever it might be to drive us in what we're doing and organizing our lives, our hearts. The first thing for for foundational is, what does that look like to surrender before Jesus, putting him, the Lord, in your life, right? And the second is prayer, right? And as he talked about that for ordering your hearts, I think there is something so true about just prayer and your time, our time with God. And I I think about this because I I love um, this article called Tyranny of the Urgent. And, you know, in in the Tyranny of the Urgent, it speaks of Jesus. And it speaks of Jesus. uh, And one thing is that there were so many things for him to do. That he only had three, he only did three years of ministry. He was, you know, there's hundreds, thousands of people that wanted to be healed, that were still hungry, that were always searching out for him. But that yet, in all craziness and busyness in life, he's able to say this, and this is in John 17, 4, is that in his prayer and in his time with God, he says, I have brought you glory, God the Father, on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do, right? It wasn't about how much he did and how many people that were still unhealed, but that he was able to, to say that he finished the work that God has given him to do. I think about this because as we think so much and sometimes in our lives, the important things, the things that we hold as values, as things that we want to kind of be anchors in our lives are oftentimes in this article crowded out by the things that are urgent. The things that needs to be done, we need to fill up the gas in our car, we can't get to the certain place, we need to do certain X, Y, Z to prepare but oftentimes that crowds out the important things, the things that God is leading, the, God, the things that God has purposed and planned in your life, in my life. And what does it look like as we talk about ordering your time to finish the work that God has given you, that God has given me? And so today <clears throat> we're going to talk about three Ps. I was trying to make it easy. Ordering your time. The first thing is we're going to talk about is prioritizing your time. Prioritizing, having priorities in your time. The second thing is plans, plan for margins. And the last is practice Sabbath, right? 
So we're going to look at prioritize your time. You know, we mentioned, I mentioned earlier in Jesus and what he was able to just finish the work, even though there's so much to be done, even though he perhaps he didn't, he didn't heal everybody, he didn't feed everybody, there's still people asking for him to be king, but he finished the work. And I think that's the important thing is, what does that look like to prioritize, to have priorities in your life? To be able to finish the thing that God has given, the season and time. And in <clears throat> Solomon, he writes this in Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 through 8. He says this, There is a time for everything, and a season for every activity under this heaven. A time to be born, and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to uproot. A time to kill, and a time to heal. A time to tear down, and a time to build. A time to weep, and a time to laugh. A time to mourn, and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear, a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to be speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. You know, there's all these things that, you know, sometimes we feel like, oh, there's so much to do. I don't know what I have to you know, take care of my kids. I have to drop them off for this. I have to prepare for that. You know, Joel's birthday was this past, you know, yesterday we had a party. Then I was thinking, there's so many things going on. But I realized, you know, there's times for everything. That the things that are important, the things that we set aside are what helps us to, to discern the things that God has for us. Right? And that then allows us to then figure out what the time is in our lives. What do we prioritize? And that's what I want to highlight is this discernment of seasons. Right? <clears throat> and it can't go too far from discernment when you think about the word discernment of what God's doing, how he's leading. Then really, you know, we have to go to the foundations of just spiritual discipline, of knowing the word of God. You know, who is God? You can hear a lot of things about God. You can hear about how he's, you know, moved in different people's lives. But the, the Bible is one of the, the best ways, in my opinion, of being able to understand who he is. Who he says he is, the promises, how he has spoken in the past. That he's, uh, <clears throat> you know, that he speaks. And that... Honestly, there's nothing to stray away, and sometimes I know that it's something we, I might say constantly, is what does that look like to spend time with God in the Word? To discern truth is also to know what are lies and what are truths. And part of that is to be able to spend that, to know it, to meditate it, to treasure the words in our hearts, His words, so that we would be able to discern that. And in, in that whole process, and what was mentioned, there's that richness of prayer, of knowing how God is speaking, what he's saying to you, responding back to God, asking for clarity, right? I, I think there's so much in just in these two that sometimes we want to say there's a time for everything, but we, we honestly can't do everything. We have to do specific things, especially the things that God has called you, has called me. And it is this baseline of discernment, of knowing the voice of God, that it will start. And we want to start ordering our time, 
part of it is asking, as we think about surrender, as we think about prayer, is what are the things God is doing in my life or in the, in the things around me? If we want to see God move powerfully, how do we join in on what he's doing? And that discernment is this idea of having him be the Lord in your life. I know for myself, I remember reading this verse, Matthew 6, and this is in the context, you know, we're going to jump around these different verses today, but Matthew 6 is in the context of, you know, God understanding of the food, the clothing, the necessities, the, the necessities in life. And he's understanding that, but he's actually share, he's challenging, Jesus challenging the people, and he says this in Matthew 6, verses 33 to 34, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things, food, clothing, worrying about tomorrow, will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You know, I think about this of prioritizing and discerning. You know, sometimes for me, it's just, it was, especially when I was in college, it was just as simple as just reading that and thinking, what does that look like, God, in my life? And I was at a wedding last week, and um, I don't know if they'll ever listen, these alums will listen, but I was placed at a table, and I was hoping to be placed at a table with other alums and people that I know and talking to them. But somehow I was placed at a table with, uh, you know, the close friends, parents, close friends of the parent, right? They, they grew up, they raised their kids in homeschooling together. There's two sets of parents, uh, probably in their s- late 60s, 70s. And there's another pastor and his family with me of the English ministry of the bride's uh, father's church. And I was talking to him, but in, in the beginning I was thinking, oh man, I want to just be next to Alan and Andrea. They have a room, they have a seat right there. I could just kind of skip over. Or Andrew and uh, these other alums that are sitting at another table. And I was just like, no, no, no. I'm here. Let's be present. You know, I can't just like somehow jump up to another table. And I was talking to the parents, and you know, it's funny when I was talking to them, it's like, oh, how, how are you a pastor? How do you know Josh? And then so I was telling them, and you know, they're like, oh, you know, they're asking about my story. Oh, why did you decide to leave this and do that? And you know, and, and, and you know, honest, and then Alan mentioned to me, he's like, oh, you were talking so much to the, the parents, I didn't want to interrupt, I didn't want to get, and I was just thinking, oh, no, no, it's good that you guys got me at the end, you know. <laughs> but it was good, it was good of a reminder for myself. I was, I was sharing with them and I was thinking through, you know, what were the choices, some of the choices that made a big impact in my life, that, that changed some of my trajectories in my life. And one of them were just, you know, in college, I, I did an internship and instead of doing one internship in New York that I really wanted to do, I decided to do an internship in Minnesota. And that internship allowed me to go on missions. And I was just thinking, oh yeah, I'll just go on missions. It's something I, I've never done, I heard about, you know, and I wanted to go. And that, that internship was like, oh yeah, just take, come in whenever. And when I went there, you know, I, I, my life was changed on, on this mission trip. It was kind of a start of certain things. And I realized it was really this verse at that time was seeking his kingdom first. I was just asking, what would I do? I can always find another position in this, <clears throat> I, well, at least I was hopeful or even naive. I could always try to find another position in, this, in the banking industry if I can, but I may not 
have the freedom as I had in the summers of college to do this mission trip. And little did I know when I think about that, that changed my life to then decide to stay for another two years to serve after college, which then, you know, was challenged by Pastor Roger to consider full-time ministry, which then I was like, no way, that's not me. And steps later, and now I'm here, you know, and there's many steps that detours everything else in, in between. But it was, you know, really one of these verses like this that challenge, what do I seek first? What's important to me? What are the things that perhaps stops me from seeking God? Right, and realizing that, you know, I don't know what will happen tomorrow, but I know what will happen right now. I know what is God's doing right now and how I could join him. And in doing so, I think that helped me identify the things that were important in my life that I wanted and wanted to invest in and the things that were urgent in my life. And the urgent things would always and can always feel important or more important than things that perhaps you value as important. I think part of those things in seeking his kingdom and, and his righteousness is laying it before him, surrendering before him and asking God, what do you have? What are you doing? How am I seeking you? He is kind of, <clears throat> he is the one we surrender to and how we want to really prioritize our time. In reality, that's how we really spend our time. We really will prioritize what's important, what we want to do, and that's how we spend it. So the first thing as we talk about ordering your time is to prioritize your time. What, what does that look like? What are important things that you lay up, that you want to put down for yourself? And just be able to reflect and be able to prioritize those things. But the second thing I want to say in ordering your time is plan for margins. This is something I'm never good at, you know, something I was joking around yesterday of, you know, I have like high anxiety when I travel or something. I don't think I have high anxiety. I have some anxiety. But, you know, like Jenny, my, my wife, she's, she's travels for work all the time and she's never missed a flight really. And for me, I've, you know, I went to the airport late one time. I missed my international flight. And so there's things that I'm like, oh, I like to be early. I don't like to rush. I don't like to run around. I want to grab some food so I'm not hungry. And especially now these days, the airlines, they don't give you much. And so, you know, planning for margins is something that I, I like. I like. I like to be there a little bit early to, to head into the airport, into the plane. And Jenny's like, oh, I don't like to waste my time waiting. Head straight. Do you know? But I think, and this is not a great translation, but I think this idea of planning for margins allows us to sometimes stop in what we're doing and to be able to observe the things around us. Because sometimes it is, I know when we plan our priorities, it's A to B. But what if God interrupts those times? What if God is interrupting that journey and trying to speak? What does that look like for us to be able to identify? And I, I believe the idea of planning for margins in our lives allows us to do that. <clears throat> there's, a, there's a story of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10 you know, and I, I, sometimes I really appreciate these, um, you know, 1900, early 1800, 1900 art, 
only because they have to paint the whole story, put the whole story in one painting. And, you know, I can't do that. I, I'm always curious how they actually do this. But I know you can't see everything, but the story of the Good Samaritan is that there's a, you know, there's a man that was robbed, beaten, and it, it's a parable, so it's not true. And he was, you know, on the side of the road left to die, right, by the robbers. And there was a priest, you can't see very well, but if you look at the road in the middle where that middle tree is, you would somewhat be able to see, well, from where, from people in the far back, I encourage you to sit up in the future. I'm kidding. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, there's two other people in that story, a, a priest, a Levite, that see this, you know, man that's hurt on the side of the road and just walk by him. Right? And then this, <clears throat> the story and the, the parable is a man that was asking, who is my neighbor? The story is Jesus saying, hey, there's a Samaritan. And this could be a whole sermon in itself and a book that's written. It's great. You know, but <clears throat> to summarize it is that the Samaritan stops. This man stops, patches him up, heal, like helps him get back, puts him on his donkey, takes him to and pays for his stay, and just allows him to, to get well. Right? And Jesus asks, who is to the person who is that per, this man's neighbor? And then they point, he points to the Samaritan, someone that stopped, someone that went and helped. And I think this is more and more our culture is that sometimes our lives could get so busy, or maybe not, maybe my life gets so busy that I can miss out on the interruptions that God has, the, the, the things that matter to God, people, right, that I could just go by, that I could be like that priest, that Levite. And it doesn't say the reason, you, you know, a lot of people <clears throat> could rationalize and say, oh, you know, they had a place to go, they didn't want to be unclean. I don't know. But I do know that in my life here right now that sometimes it could get so busy that I don't have the margins to stop, to slow down, to talk to a person, to hear their story, perhaps see what God's doing, perhaps pray with them, and I think that's what I want to challenge, is that our lives without the priorities and without planning a margin, that sometimes it gets so busy that we can miss out on what God is doing. And I think this is where, you know, as I think about planning our march, even in the, in the larger scheme in our life, I love Psalm 90, verse 12, is teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. As we think about kind of this, our lifetime margins for that, it is to me uh, this idea of numbering my days and seeing, okay, if I have this, what would that look like to truly invest in these things that are important to me? I remember having a conversation with Pastor Mike a while ago, you know, and he was saying, oh, his parents are old, and, you know, they, he sees them only once a year, and maybe he'll only see them, what, they'll maybe be 85, 90s, and he's like, that's maybe 10 years, maybe 10 more times of seeing them. And I think that just struck me. That struck me years ago. And, and just thinking, wait, I live far away from my parents, and I don't get to see them often. And I was thinking to myself, no, after that conversation, that when we think about numbering our days, when we think about what are intentional things that we want to focus on, I think that helps us so much. 
that we we able to refocus when we think about the margins. And one of the things that I did, try to do, and I we continue to try to do, is in our vacations and our times together, we always invite Jenny's family, my family, to try to come with us, and just to spend time with them. And I, you know, ultimately, it's not about what I can do, right? It's it's a two-way street in any relationship, in, in any intentional things. There's only so much you can do. I know recently, and you know, I don't think my mom listens to this yet, I'm hoping. You know, and I, you know, I've been asking my mom, hey, you know, come visit. You know, come when I have my nanny, when they're in school. You're, I'm not asking you to take care of them, but just be here, you know. And, you know, and it makes me sad. I think it's a wound in my heart still right now. But she's like, oh, no, 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 no. I'll come when, when your sister comes. And I was like, wait, 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 I'll buy your ticket. You know, I'll do all X, Y, Z. And she's like, no, I, I think it'll be better if, when your sister comes. And I still don't completely understand it. But at the same time, I know that I'm intentional, that I'm laying the groundwork, and I'm still continuing saying, hey, come spend time with us. Even though I, you know, we're willing to go there. But I think this is something that, <clears throat> as I think about planning for margins, planning out how we want to live and what are the things important. I love this psalm of numbering my days, knowing that, hey, this is what I'm going to intentionally do. And that has helped me gain some wisdom in how I want to live. And ultimately, it says in Proverbs 16, 9, is that in their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. There's a freedom in knowing that, you know what, I'm going to plan these things, but I know it is not only what I can plan, what I'm doing, building these margins, but what God is doing. And seeing those, <clears throat> those opportunities, seeing, having this, the clarity in my mind to, to notice that sometimes. You know, I, I think about this because I, I'm blessed. I'm blessed as I share tidbits of my sabbatical I'm blessed uh, by this church, by you, to have taken the sabbatical this past few months, and even the timing of it. You know, I I'd never, you know, when I brought this up a while ago, you know, we we're planning out the, the times of the sabbatical, and, you know, even as I was thinking about sabbatical as I was for my seminary, it was something that I was like, oh, I'm going to try to plan and do, right? I never would have imagined that it came at somewhat the perfect time for us. You know, Jenny switched jobs. She was really busy. I did a parental leave in, the, in that first month and a half. But I also did snowboarding trips with my kids, and it was perfect. It was great. You know, I finished my class. I graduated. But during that time, I remember talking to a pastor as I was preparing for the sabbatical and preparing to write my paper, is that, you know, he said to me, this is one mindset that's really important as we think about time. He says, you know, he sees that when people are in their sabbatical, or even during their Sabbath, that when they have a mindset of scarcity, that you don't have enough, that you're just trying to get by, like, or, you know, you, you only have three and a half months, or you're only one month, or you're, that sometimes you feel like, oh, I, I have to do more. I have to get this X, Y, Z done. I have to do these things. But when you see it as a gift, that it, it could change up the whole, the whole dynamics of your sabbatical. And I think this planning a margin 
in our lives, this idea of scarcity versus a gift really changes the whole, our whole perception of the things and the things that happen around us. I'm not there either. Do you know, there's, a, there's many times where I complain about and I wrestle with, oh, how am I going to take care of these kids? How am I going to plan and work? But there's oftentimes God reminds me, and for those that Jenny and I had a journey to even have our first child, we were praying for it, to have a child. People were here, joined us into that journey. But that was a hard journey for us, that we were wrestling, waiting for God. And there are times where God reminds me, didn't you ask to take care of your kids? Didn't you miss the fact that you didn't have those relationship, that relationship with your dad? And yet, why, why is it so hard for you to complain? And I, I still, like, I'm telling you, it's a, it's a battle. But one that, during the sabbatical, and one that I'm trying to do my best, it's to see those times as a gift, to see that as what I've asked, and to do my best to enjoy those times. And likewise, as we plan for margin, I believe that that mindset will change how we perceive the things, the circumstances around us, right? As we talk about our time, what we're stuck doing sometimes, what we feel obligated, but rather we see it as a gift and opportunity from God. So not only do you prioritize your time and you plan for these margins to see God moving, the last one is practice Sabbaths. And I haven't been, I'm one that's, you know, when I was thinking through this, as I modeled it with, uh, you know, Richard with Alan, I realized I wasn't very good at this. You know, and it's a, it's a challenge in our daily, in our kind of, our culture of productivity, of work, of getting from A to B, of different events. But I've been challenged. And what does that look like to practice Sabbath? And for <clears throat> Sabbath in the Hebrew word, is to cease to rest, right? That's the meaning. It, it was introduced in Exodus 16 as a way that God was telling his people, the Israelites, as they were, uh, their journey away from slavery in Egypt to this promised land, is that Exodus 16, God's speaking to him and saying, you know, remember the Sabbath. Take a Sabbath. You know, you'll work for six days, and on the seventh day, you won't is a reminder, it's even a challenge, it's something that's foreign to the people then, right? They were in slavery, they were, you know, in the mindset, I need to work, I, need, I, I work all the time whenever I'm told to work, and even towards the end of their slavery, that, that time, they were pushed even harder, they were to gather their own straws, they had to make their own bricks, everything was harder for them. And on this journey out of Egypt, out of slavery, God reminds them, hey, take a Sabbath, Take a time off to cease. And what's interesting is, you know, they were to collect manna, and it would be enough for them on the seventh day if, when they collect it on the sixth. And there would still be people on the seventh collecting. And then it would become, you know, worms. And, and for those that did collect when they got used to it, that when they collected on the sixth, it would be enough for the day seven. Right? It was a reminder in, to God's people at that time, a sign to them, that God is faithful, that God provides, that God leads them out of slavery and to something, a promised land. 
And for them, it's a response to cease to rest. Later on in Exodus 20, I won't give you all the, the different <clears throat> narratives and how it speaks, but I just want to connect two things. In Exodus 20 and even in Deuteronomy and in the, in the laws, you know, it can, the word connects Sabbath to God's creation, how God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh, right? And it, <clears throat> and it was good that he saw completion in the things that he did and he he took time. It wasn't because God's tired that he was like, oh, I need to take a break, but rather he saw the goodness and that he modeled that of rest. He modeled that whole, <clears throat> this holy command that he gave to the Israelites. Right? It's been nullified through Jesus. Okay, then I'll go through all this. But this idea of Sabbath and this practice is one that we see even in Jesus. Right? When Jesus came and, and died on the cross, he freed the people from the commands of Sabbath, the obligation, but rather to receive it as a gift, this practice of Sabbath. And I'll just share two, you know, summarize two quick stories, John 5 and John, uh, Matthew 12, how Jesus, you know, on Sabbath healed people. Right? And that actually was a cause of, you know, a great uproar with the Pharisees, the people in charge. Says, How could you do this on Sabbath? How could you even heal someone? And Jesus responds in, in saying this. He says, it's lawful to do good on Sabbath, that he is the Lord of Sabbath. Right? In all this, he shows us that it's not so much just to cease from work and it's an obligation to rule, but rather Rather, it's a gift. Rather, it is something that is meant for good. Right? He, he says this in Mark 2, verses 27 to 28. Then he said to them, the Sabbath, Jesus says, was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. You know, I think this is something that is a challenge, perhaps, for many of us, for myself, of what does that look like? What does it look like to cease to rest? And I think sometimes we jump to the extreme, perhaps, of, oh, I'm going to sleep for 12 hours, or I'm going to binge. And the question I have for, and it could be that, that could be restful, don't get me wrong. The question is, after you do that, these certain practices of Sabbath, as you experience it, do you feel restful? Do you feel refreshed? Do you feel renewed in your time with God? Be refreshed, to be renewed. That Sabbath is not so much of <clears throat> this obligation, but rather a gift, a gift of time, a practice for us to realign, to be able to do the first two things, to prioritize, to able to plan. That in that period and in that time, the Sabbath could be really good. You know, I, I, <clears throat> I think the heart and the posture of Sabbath was shown in the Old Testament. It was, it was a sign in, of trust in God, right? That they would work and they would gather for six that God would prepare for the seventh day. And it goes on later on 
That God speaks, you know, work the land for six years, but take a break on the seventh. You know, it goes on and talks about the year of Jubilee in 49. All this was a sign for them to see that in a, a practice of trust in the Lord, that God provides all their needs. That if, if they were to work the land for six years, that the land would get rest, and that on the seventh year, and even on the eighth before they started working on the land, that God would have always enough for them. That it would be a, a way to combat greed, to combat this idea of hold hoarding, but rather it would be a freedom, a freedom for his people, the people, it would be a witness to those all around them. And I think that is still a challenge and a practice and a gift for us. And I want to, I remember hearing about the story and I want to kind of end with this kind of story is that, you know, as, uh, when I grew up in California, I just never had a lot of uh, Chick-fil-A. I don't know about you guys, I just, I just did not eat a lot of Chick-fil-A. I mean, I, these days I probably go at probably all close to once a week, you know, of just how much our kids like it, and sometimes it gets through, maybe once every two weeks, okay? But I realized when I was growing up, I never had Chick-fil-A, right? And I think about their, you know, there's a, there's a <clears throat> papers written on this, their story and their, <clears throat> what they do, right? But they practice where they don't open on Sundays. And what's interesting in, in, this, in this practice is that there's not as many Chick-fil-A's all around as Taco Bell. There's actually, I, I just took an excerpt, right? There's less units, less stores, half than other fast food chains like Taco Bell, Burger King, or Wendy's. But each one of them, they generate actually fewer sales overall. And it says a typical Chick-fil-A franchise location generates eight, $8 million. That's over twice that of a typical McDonald's, four times a Wendy's, and five times that of Burger King. That even though they take a day off, they actually don't open on Sundays. And it says they estimate that if they did open on Sundays, and by, by not opening they lose a billion dollars in sales, right? But the values of the, <clears throat> the owner, the creator, was that we're gonna take a day off. We're gonna give our employees a day off. We're gonna do this. And even as, as he passed and there's, his sons has, or his kids have taken over, that they said they're gonna keep that practice. And I, I say that because I think a lot of times we, it sounds good in a church, oh, there's a Sabbath. And this is what I used to think. I'm not trying to say that, Oh, yeah, no, no, I get it. But that practice is hard. You know, is it really valuable for me? Is it really going to add to my life? Is it really a gift? Or is it something that, you know, I'm, I just have to do because God doesn't want me to? No, no, not at all. I want to show here is just, there's, you know, it's secular and work-wise that there's a practice, actually, even during, as I wrote my paper on sabbatical, McDonald's actually gives their employees sabbaticals after 10 years of work for eight weeks. Do you know, and it's more and more companies are doing that. Why? Because they think it adds value to their employees. And I think more and more, I think this idea that this idea of Sabbath sabbaticals are not just a time to just, we can, and I have, wasted or not, spent <clears throat> wisely, 
but it can also be a time where it can add so much richness in our lives, in our families, in our friends, in our community. That this idea that we can <clears throat> focus to cease from work, but yet have our, you know, <clears throat> have a time of mental or physical, emotional rest that renews us is one that as we talk about ordering your time, it will help continue to order our time. As we say, putting our, our lives and our life in order, it starts from the heart, but it continues on from the heart to these practical things like our time, where the question is, do we, how do you prioritize your time? What are really important? What are the things that if you were to rank? And then how do you actually live it out? Take an inventory of that, of where do I actually spend my, what do I actually spend my time doing? Planning for margins to be able to sometimes see God moving right now rather than being able to just go from A to B. And lastly, the practice of Sabbath being able to renew, to realign, to, to focus on God allows, I believe, the other two to happen. And I think when that thing, when that practice and rhythm is happening, I believe we could understand what the, the author in Ecclesiastes, what he's mentioning, that there is a time for everything, that we could discern the seasons and the convictions and the plans and the purpose that God has for you on a day, week, month, year, and lifetime. Let's pray. Lord, we just lift up, I lift up this message, I lift up each, each person here, Lord. That time is a resource that we're not really fully in control of that you establish our steps. Lord, we thank you for that gift. Lord, I pray that you would help us, help us gain insight and wisdom and discernment in what you are doing. Help us to experience the richness of this fellowship with you in prayer, in the word, in community, in sharing your goodness with those around us, that it would give us life. That it would not feel that we're giving up our time, but rather you would enrich, that you would add fullness to our time. That our lives are just a speck compared to eternity. And so Lord, help us, Lord. Help us to live a life worthy of the gospel. Lord, we're thankful that we don't have to earn this. We don't have to live in ways to earn this, your grace, but that you give it freely, that you love, that you gave your son so that we would have this freedom, this response, this surrender as a response to you, Lord. So Lord, I just pray for this week, Lord. May you help us to prioritize. I pray even in this worship, would you give each person just 
a thought that comes up of something that you want us to prioritize this week, to plan for margins in. Lord, help us to see that, to see how you're always at work. And so, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you never let go. We thank you that you are, Lord, the one that loves so that we can love. Lord, may our lives glorify you like your son did. We love you, and in Jesus' name.